Amen. You can be seated. We uh, have been going through the letter to 1 Timothy for the last few weeks. Um, Time flies, and my wife Kelly and I and our family, we've been here three and a half years now. Uh, And in that three and a half years, we've been able to walk through uh, the book of Philippians that Paul wrote, um, the, the gospel of Mark together. And then just finished uh, Exodus in 2019. Uh, And now we're back in the New Testament in 1 Timothy. And what we've seen over the last few weeks, just as kind of a reminder and a review, is, uh, is one, we saw the background to this church in Ephesus that this young pastor Timothy has been called to shepherd. We saw how Paul had been uh, an important part of this church in its founding and in its growth and its sanctification, and that at the end of his life and ministry, in multiple, to- in multiple ways, he had tried to protect this church because he knew that wolves were around. He knew that believers, even with the power of the Spirit, are still prone uh, to selfishness and to idolatry, and as a result of that, uh, easily could have problems in their church. So he sent the young man, Timothy, to go and pastor that flock and shepherd them. Last week, we saw that this letter uh, includes Paul reminding Timothy and the church that he is an apostle. And we talked about how the apostle, uh, the apostle's authority is significant because it is given directly to the apostles from our Lord and Savior Jesus. And therefore, what Paul's letter says here to Timothy and Ephesus and to us is more than just tips. It's more than just suggestions. Paul, as a New Testament apostle, can legitimately say with the Old Testament prophets, thus says the Lord. So we should listen. This morning, we build on the foundation of of those sermons and we look at something that's just mentioned briefly, and that is Paul's discipleship strategy. Paul's discipleship strategy. The last few weeks, in particular last week, we just looked at one verse. We're kind of doing the same thing this week. Uh, if, if you're visiting with us, uh, we don't do that every week. A lot of times we, we cover larger swaths of Scripture. But, but this morning, I just want to read verses 1 through 3 of First Timothy together. It says, Paul... An apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus So you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. I want to focus this morning on what Paul writes to Timothy in verse 2. Just in a few words where he says to Timothy, You are my true child in the faith. And as we unpack what that means and why that matters... I want to point out three big truths that I I pray will be helpful and important for us to consider. The first is this. 
It's that all believers, not some, all believers are called to be spiritual parents. All believers are called to be spiritual parents. Paul says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And to understand that verse and its significance, we have to unpack Paul and Timothy's relationship, which will reveal to us God's plan to help other believers grow up and mature in the faith. But in order to understand that relationship, we have to look back at the book of Acts and other places in 1 Timothy as well as 2 Timothy. And this is what we know about that relationship. Acts chapter 16 as well as 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that this young man Timothy who's pastoring Ephesus came from a mixed Jew-Gentile family. He had a godly Jewish mother and grandmother who knew the Lord. Their name was Lois and Eunice. And they taught Timothy the faith as a young man, but he also had an unbelieving Greek father. Their family lived in the city of Lystra, which was a stop on Paul's first missionary journey that's recorded in Acts chapter 14. In Acts 16, Paul asked Timothy to come alongside him and join him in his missionary travels. Then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, which we'll cover in a few weeks, and later in this very letter, chapter 4, verse 14, we find out that this young man, Timothy, who grew up and was a young man of faith and came alongside Paul, he actually had pretty impressive and noticeable spiritual gifts that were confirmed by other believers. They saw the Lord working in him and gifting him in unique ways, and they affirmed that and confirmed those gifts. And verse 3 that we just read shows us that Paul, the apostle, trusted this young man, Timothy, enough that when a church in Ephesus was in need of spiritual leadership and spiritual protection, he trusted Timothy to go and provide it. So in sum, what we read about this relationship, what we're given, although it's limited, is a story about how Paul found Timothy as a young man who lacked the spiritual maturity, spiritual knowledge, and experience that he, Paul, had. And yet Timothy was hungry. He was hungry to grow. He was hungry for more of Christ. He was hungry to be used for the cause of the gospel. So Paul invested in this young man, Timothy, to help him grow closer to God, but also to train Timothy to know how to train others and invest in and disciple other people. Paul plays such a large role in Timothy's life as a spiritual mentor, as, as a, a man who discipled him, that he can actually refer to this man, Timothy, as my true child in the faith in verse 2. Paul is claiming that he is Timothy's spiritual father. Now, we, we literally know very little, next to nothing, about Timothy's real biological 
father beyond the fact that he was Greek. But it's safe to assume that he was not a believer because the Scriptures go out of the way to tell us about the strong faith of his mother and grandmother. And if his dad was a believer too, he would have included that information. So Timothy needed a godly male influence to step into his life, to help him on this spiritual journey. Paul was looking for that need, identified that need, and stepped into it to help this young man be trained for ministry and to know the Lord more. Now why would Paul, who was busy planting churches all over that's part of the world, going on missionary journeys, putting down false teaching, having to go to the Jerusalem council, and a hundred different things. Why would he take time out of his busy schedule to invest in this young man? I think at least part of the answer is because Paul modeled his discipleship strategy after none other than Jesus. How did Jesus Turn the world upside down? Was it through His miracles? Was it through His authoritative teaching? Was it through Him making the masses make decisions to follow Him? No. Our Lord Jesus turned the world upside down so that this very church in rural Alabama exists today Not by going to the masses, but by pouring his life into a small group of men who would be able to duplicate what they had seen Jesus do for them. Jesus lived with his disciples. He taught his disciples. He modeled how to do ministry. He helped them process hardship. And he taught them to do the same with others. So that when the Spirit came in Acts 2 at Pentecost, these that Jesus had invested in for years became disciple-making disciples themselves. Paul is following Jesus' model. He's doing the same thing with Timothy. And listen, we are called to nothing less as believers Today, we are called as believers to be men and women who make disciple-making disciples because all, not some, believers are called to be spiritual parents. That's the first truth. There's another one, though. This is a reality that happened in the, the Bible times, but it is so prevalent today. In the midst of that truth that all believers are called to be spiritual parents, this is also true. Many today are believers who are birthed and then abandoned. Many believers are birthed into the faith and then are left on their own. Neglected, abandoned, not provided the spiritual leadership and protection that they need. But friends, the Bible in Matthew 28, Jesus' great commission, His marching orders for believers does not say, go therefore and make decisions from all nations. It says make disciples. 
Every believer in this room remembers the circumstances and the people that were involved in leading them to Christ. But far fewer will be able to point to those who intentionally spent time with them and invested in them and met with them and taught them and helped them to mature in the faith. In our day, we have an abundance of resources to help us lead others to Christ. With little effort, you can buy tracts to hand out to be a guide for you in discussing the faith with unbelievers. And yet, far fewer believers today have a game plan for how to take a new believer from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, what we call discipleship. In our worship services, we have traditions and structures that are in place. We have a time set aside to let people respond to the gospel. We have things in place in our churches to lead people to make decisions for Christ. We've placed a high priority on the salvation of souls, which is a good and right priority. And yet the same emphasis has not been placed on making disciples, on helping those who trust in Christ to grow up and mature and stay in the faith. What happens When someone repents and believes, oftentimes they are dunked and chunked. They're quickly baptized. They're given assurance that they're saved and that that will never change. They're told, go read your Bibles, pray. It's a good idea to go to church. All good things to encourage new believers to do. And yet having someone affirm your decision, dunk you in some water, pat you on the back, give you a few pointers and say good luck with the Christian life is like a mother having a baby, cleaning her off, getting her dressed, giving her a few feedings and then saying, you can do it, we believe in you. A newborn needs more than that. And so does a new believer. Sure, we have worship services and Sunday school classes and devotionals and all these different things that are helpful. These are aimed at helping believers grow up and be equipped in the faith. But are those structures and programs enough to create a Great Commission people who are running hard over after holiness, prioritizing Jesus in their life, living on mission, and being a light in the community? Matthew 28 says, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe all I've commanded you. The Great Commission is not just about evangelism. It is about discipleship. It is about saving souls and maturing saints. And that is a call that the Lord Jesus places on all of us. All of us are called to be spiritual parents. We are called to share the gospel with the lost. But if they respond, we must not abandon them. We must invest in them to help them be happy and holy in Jesus. And that is not just the pastor's job. That's right, there should be more amens.
That's not just my job. Do you know what I preached the first sermon I was ever here three and a half or so years ago? Ephesians chapter 4. What does God give pastors to churches for? To equip the people of God for the work of ministry. The pastor is set aside by God to help challenge and equip and train the church, the people of God to do the work of ministry because ministry doesn't just happen in these four walls and it doesn't just happen by those who have a title in front of their name. All believers are called to be spiritual parents and therefore not to be okay with so many people being birthed into the faith and then abandoned. This is something church structures alone cannot produce. This evangelism and discipleship, that's Jesus' call on us. It's for all believers. That means every believer should be growing up in Christ, but also helping other believers grow up in Christ. Consider this question. Who do you know who is more like Jesus Christ? Who is more holy, more missional, a better Bible reader and church member, and a light in their community because you have invested in them? Let me ask it again. Who can you point at in your life, who is more like Christ, more holy, more missioner, a better Bible reader, a better church member, and a light in the community because you have poured your time and talent into them to help them be holy and happy in Jesus. That question lays before us all whether or not we are a Great Commission Christian or not. And let me rephrase that. That lays before us all if we are an obedient Christian to our King and Lord Jesus. The goal of all this is not just to get you to wake up and come to church once a week. The end of all this is not just to get you to put a check in the plate. It's not just to keep Galleon going on and on forever and ever as a local church. The purpose of the church, of the people of God, is to make much of God who has given us His Savior, Christ. So dwelling with Him is the ultimate goal. He alone is supremely satisfying, not money. Not your job, not your hobbies, not all the other things that are not bad in and of themselves. And yet we are so committed to so many things, and yet very few of us can answer that question. Who is holy and happy in Jesus because of my investment in them? Friends, if you're a believer... God has given you a new heart. God has given you new affections. God has given you a new purpose. God has given you a new calling. God has paved for you a new future. And it is to live resting in Him while you're busy for Him, doing work for Him that will last forever. Not sit around 
doing nothing for the Lord. That's disobedience. Listen. The greatest encouragement for me in the short time that the Lord has allowed me to do ministry as a pastor and and before this in other roles is not, the greatest encouragement is not found in having high attendance at church gatherings. The greatest encouragement has not been in overseeing outreach events that produce momentary decisions. Instead, the greatest encouragement for me in ministry has been watching believers who I've been allowed to meet with and invest in and tried imperfectly to help grow up in the faith get out there and live it. When I see young men in youth groups and college groups that I used to lead who are now young adults who are running hard after Christ, who have the discernment to distinguish truth from error, who are future leaders in the church, it is awesome. When I see men who are in the same season of life in me, who are leading their families spiritually and pursuing holiness, who are willing to stand for truth and live on mission because I had the opportunity to imperfectly try to disciple them, it is mind-boggling to me. When I'm told that old dogs cannot learn new tricks, and yet I see older men who are discipling others and digging into the Word of God for the first time in their life because of something that I said or helped them with, it is amazing. It is awesome. And listen, seeing those things happen have nothing to do with my being a pastor. That is Christianity 101 because we are all called to be spiritual parents. That's what Jesus did with His disciples. That's what Paul did with Timothy. And that is what we are all called to do still today. So that we could write a letter to someone in the future and say... To Timothy, my true son in the faith. So if you hear that, you're like, okay, I, I want to I do that. How? What should I do? Where should I start? I want to give you something that I've found helpful. This is not an idea that's u- unique to me. But I think the first step you need to look for is men and women who are fat. Don't turn your head at other people. I'm not referring to a body size when I say fat, but F-A-T, standing for faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, and teachable. To be a disciple maker, look for those who are faithful, available, and teachable. What do those words mean? First, faithful. You're looking to pass the faith on to those who are already faithful to the Lord, already faithful to the church. One-on-one discipleship is not a replacement for the gathering of God's people. It is a supplement to it. It's difficult to disciple someone to maturity who wavers on basic commitments like showing up for church and reading God's Word. Being faithful, by definition, means that you're not fickle and inconsistent. 
That's not saying you don't ever take a chance and try to invest in and meet with someone who's, who's not already faithful. But nothing is more frustrating when you're sacrificing and trying to pour yourself in and investing in someone for their spiritual good when they don't make it a priority in their lives. The first thing you need to look for is someone who's faithful. The second, available. Every one of us are committed to many things, many of them good things. For some, it's work. Many, in fact, are workaholics. Many people let their kids' schedules or their personal hobbies dictate all else in their lives. Many people overcommit to to many good things. Many times the things we're committed to are necessary things to keep food on the table or or maybe it's time that we set aside for family or whatever it could be. But the, the, the truth is, is many of us are overcommitted and therefore unavailable. We haven't built margin into our schedules and our lives. This whole idea of discipleship and investing in others, it's a great idea in theory But without a regular time to meet, it will only remain a good idea for years and years and decades. So we must look for people who are available or who are hungry enough to grow that they're willing to make themselves available by sacrificing other things. Faithful, available, and last teachable. We need to invest in those who will engage with and apply the truth of God's Word. The person who's willing to show up, but they're not willing to listen, they're not willing to apply, they love to hear themselves talk, but think that they've already arrived and actually should probably be teaching you, that person is proud and they're unteachable. They might not know about God's Word, or maybe they do know about God's Word, they just don't live it. They can talk your pants off about everything about the Bible, and yet there's all sorts of works of the flesh at work in their life that they feel no conviction over. The person who's proud and unteachable will be difficult and frustrating to disciple. But friends, when you find someone who is faithful and available and teachable, when you find someone who is hungry for the Lord, make a plan and do something. I'm not going to sit here and lay out a detailed plan for the best way to do this. Maybe for you it's just sitting down and reading the Bible together. Maybe it's reading a good Christian book. Maybe it's making visits. Maybe it's going and serving someone together. Maybe it's talking about family life and teaching them what you know. Or maybe it's just praying together as they go through hardship. Whatever it is, do something. Don't overthink it. Don't focus on the things that you don't feel qualified to do. Instead, pass on what you do know how to do and are gifted in. Maybe you're an empty nester. And maybe what this looks like is you seek out a young couple with children to start meeting with and investing in and passing on what you've learned from experience of trying to follow the Lord faithfully. Maybe you're retired and you can seek out the empty nester who's still working and pour your life into them because you've been where they are right now. Maybe you're a young married couple and it's seeking out college-age singles or youth to invest your life into. Maybe you're gifted at teaching. Find some folks who are interested in learning and want to go deeper and make a plan. Whatever that looks like, just be intentional. Don't let discipleship happen by accident. There's a lot of needs and a lot of opportunities in our community, even in our church. And yet, a lot of times, no one will take initiative to step in and find a need and meet a need. 
On Wednesday nights, we have about 40 teenagers, probably 20 of whom ride buses that we run. And, and I don't know all of their stories, but many of them come from, from broken homes and they don't have godly influences in their lives and things like that. There's a difference between saying, we need to invest in these young men and making that a priority to come and meet with them and get to know them and get to know their families. These are just examples. Discipleship won't happen by accident. We must be intentional. And friends, if you feel called to this, which we all should feel called to, you must be patient. And this is why. Because you cannot microwave a disciple. That's not how it works. It takes time. It takes patience. Make a plan. Set a time. Make it happen. You might be here this morning and you're hearing this message and you're saying, I think I might be one of the people who were birthed and then abandoned. And I don't have anyone reaching out to me seeking to help me grow up in the faith. Friends, if that is you this morning, go find someone and ask for it. If you see someone who you respect, if you see someone who you think is doing it right as they live out their faith and they love the Lord and you want to emulate and model them, go to them and say, will you show me, will you talk to me, will you teach me how to do that? They'll probably say yes and it will also strengthen their faith like crazy to hear you see that because they're probably sitting around thinking, I should be doing more for the Lord, I'm not faithful, I'm not holy enough. But when other people see you running after the Lord and then they vocalize those evidences of grace, it will build them up and encourage them, provide them an opportunity for ministry and help you to be grown up and matured in the faith. If you're hearing all this and you're thinking, Nick, I, um, I, I get it, right? I don't need anything like that, though I don't need other people to help me grow up in the faith. I want to graciously and kindly say to you, yes, you do. Yes, you do. And the only reason you would say that is because you're unteachable. So, It doesn't matter who you know or what you know or what experiences you've had in the past or what your last name is or how long you've gone to church here or anything like that. Every one of us should be growing in Christ and should be seeking to use our spiritual gifts to build up the body and investing in others. Every one of us has someone who's further along who we could learn from and someone who's not as far along that we can be investing in. And if you're thinking to yourself... Nick, I I hear you. I want to help do this. I want to be a part of this, but I don't think I have anything to offer anybody else. I just want to encourage you. If you're a believer, you do. It might not be teaching an in-depth Bible study. It might not be anything that will have fanfare and applause and things of that nature, but if you're a believer, God has given you the Spirit and He's written the law of the Lord on your heart and that's all you need to follow Him and be obedient. You might have knowledge or experience or encouragement or prayer. Maybe you can teach life skills that you've acquired as a cook or a mechanic or an accountant or a guy who can fix anything and you can teach someone those skills while talking about the Lord. Discipleship is not uniform. There's not only one way to do it. What it's about is using what you're gifted in by God and using that gift to bring Him glory as you serve and edify and invest in others. This is what 
Paul did with Timothy and what Jesus did with the disciples. And my prayer for you is, is not as simple as, man, I'm, I hope they come back to church next week. That'd be cool. My prayer for you is that you will have a bigger vision of the Christian life than, than setting an alarm clock on Sunday. Maybe that's a first step, right? Or, or, or come into a discipleship class or something like that. My, my prayer for you is that in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, that there will be people in your family and in our community and in our church who thank God for the investment that you made in their lives. My prayer is that decades from now, even after you're gone, that there will be people who are telling their kids and grandkids about what you did when you stepped into their life as a spiritual father or mother to them and the impact that it has made on them that has scoped generations. That's what making an eternal investment is about. That's what making an eternal impact looks like. So my prayer for for all of us here and for myself, is that with our eyes fixed on God, with our hearts full of Christ, with our hands empowered by the Spirit, that we will obey our marching orders, that we will live our lives seeking to save souls and mature saints. My prayer is that we will follow the footsteps of Jesus, of Paul, of the apostles, and of faithful believers throughout all of history, that we will become Disciple-making disciples. Because King Jesus commands it. But even more than that, because King Jesus deserves it. He is worth all of our praise, all of our lives, all of our time. So whether your need is to be discipled by someone, whether your need is to find someone to invest in, whether your need this morning is repentance and reminding yourself of the cross of Christ, whether it's salvation and you hear this and you realize, I I don't even think that I've been born again. Whatever your need is, my prayer as we close this morning is you'll respond as the Spirit of God leads you. He's worth our time. So let us fix our eyes on Him and remember the work He's done and the call He's given us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. God, I thank You that You are a God who saves. I thank You, Lord, for the work that You've done in the lives of believers to help us to see and savor Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that that this message is not received in a way that that some would walk away and say, I need to do this, this, and this in order to earn my salvation. God, we are not saved by how good of disciple-makers we are. We are not saved by all sorts of works that we so often trust in. Lord, we know from Your Word that we are saved because of the finished work of Jesus alone. So God, I pray this morning that You will help us to remember what You've called us to. I pray that You will help us to trust in You and to be obedient to You. God, I pray that You will help us to be holy 
and to consecrate our lives to you because you are God. You're worth our time and our energy. God, you are the one who empowers our hands. You are the one who gives us intellect. You are the one who guides our steps. You are the one who knows every hair on our head. You are the sovereign Lord of all. All that we have is on loan to us from you. So God, help us to be good stewards of those good gifts. Help us to take our lives and let them be consecrated to you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand?